What is happening, everyone? Welcome again to The Window, Canada sports betting podcast. Ahead on today's episode of The Window, regular season wrap. The college basketball regular season comes to a close, but we're okay with moving on to the meat of March. I'll recap a successful season overall, even if we couldn't dodge some bad beats late in the year. But the Futures portfolio has us in a great spot, headed into the big tournament next week. We'll go over that. Then, of course, it's Let's Do That Hockey, where we hit a couple big dogs on what ended up being a pretty light weekend in the NHL. It's time to head to the window. Let's go. Welcome to The Window. I'm your host, Matt Russell. Today, we're going to break down Oprah's interview with... No, I'm just kidding. It's a look back at the dunk contest. No, no, we're not doing that either. It's our usual don't look back in anger on a Monday. College basketball here to start. 7-7 seven and seven over the weekend. The wins, again, pretty easy ones, right? Auburn, Providence, LSU, St. John's, Tennessee, Nebraska, Baylor. All games... You know, that covered pretty easily. We didn't have to worry in the last minute or so about what was going to happen, free throws, anything like that. And that's been the story of the last few weeks, where the wins have come pretty easily. And the losses, of course, some of them are just bad plays. And we had, of those seven losses, five legitimately bad plays. Those are going to happen. That's sports betting, right? And if you're thinking that it's just, you know, the expectation is 100% or that the only losses are going to be bad beats then you're going to be having a rude awakening here at some point. But we did have a couple of losses on Saturday that were a nice kick in the pants. Uh, First one being Minnesota, fighting all the way back against Rutgers. Their best player, Torontonian Marcus Carr, doesn't make a basket until uh, three minutes to go in the game, something along those lines. And they still managed to get to overtime with Rutgers and should have probably ended in regulation, whether it was Minnesota having a you know, breakaway that was intercepted by Rutgers so that they could have the final shot. And of course, the final shot, you know, ends up in a settle for a jumper. This idea that basketball coaches in the last, you know, 20 seconds, last second of a game are drawing up these plays just to isolate guys so that they can go one-on-one and then try a step-back jumper. You know, call me old-fashioned, but let's come up with a play here to get ourselves a layup or something, you know, or it's just an open shot with a little passing. But again, that's the issue in today's basketball where trying to get five guys all on the same page to execute something in 10 to 15 seconds is a little bit more difficult than just saying, here's our best player, here's our best shooter, um, you know, go for it. So Minnesota ends up, of course, losing in overtime as a uh, three-and-a-half-point underdog. You know, classic where, you know, underdogs go to die in overtime situation. And then later in the day, Georgia, four-point game with, you know, 45 seconds left or so. Uh, a couple of layups missed, goes back the other way. Alabama makes every single free throw, all six of them, and they win by 10. So a couple of bad ones there to go along with some losses that were just, you know, listen, Georgetown, never even in it. South Carolina, you know, Kentucky <laughs> has a player shooting six threes, um, or may, I should say making six threes uh, in the first half and a little bit in that game. You sort of shrug your shoulders. We've talked about Kentucky. What's the reason they're not making the NCAA tournament this year? Shooting. And so the idea of them having a really good shooting day on Saturday uh, seemed a little bit of a foreign concept. Um, and then last night, you know, our, our Oregon Ducks um, felt like a you know, inflated line there with the home underdog Oregon State Beavers won five straight games in a row, or should say covered five straight games in a row. Going against Oregon, sort of an afterthought, not necessarily an afterthought, I should say, but because they are trying to, of course, win the Pac-12 tournament last night. But the idea of them shooting 14 of 21 from three, listen, we love the Ducks as much as the next guy, but not going to see that happening anytime soon again for the Ducks. It'd be great if they do, right? We're going to probably need one of those types of shooting nights should they get themselves into trouble here down the stretch in March. So, you know, overall 7-7, seven and seven, you know, okay. Felt like, you know, even if we get one bad beat and one sort of avoidance of a bad beat in those close late situations, you're then looking at 8-6 and six, and the profile for the weekend looks a lot better than that. From a full season standpoint, 
191, 162 and 3 for a robust 54.1%. That's 12.8 units to the good and a 3.2% ROI. And, you know, the way this season went, it started off super hot, right? Almost at 60%. And the difference between this show and others, as you've probably picked up at this point, is... First of all, we give out picks, right? How many shows do you watch? And, I mean, really watch, and you go, I just watched or listened to, I should say. I just listened to that show, and nobody actually gave out a pick, right? And when they do, you know, and this is more of a sort of Twitter thing or social media thing, they're just treated like gospel, right? Like, these are the picks. There's no way that they can lose. But the thing is, the difference here is that we talk about it the next day. And that's the fundamental difference between this show and others. We go through like what happened, um, whether it's hockey breaking down the analytics of it, whether it's basketball. You know, we don't need to go five minutes per game talking about Kentucky, you know, their three-point shooting, right? It's just, hey, if you haven't looked at the box score from that game, here's why Kentucky actually won a game in a blowout, because they shot the ball really well. And so... You know, we look back at these games and we recap what happened and we commiserate about sort of maybe some bad luck from a shooting variance standpoint um, or some good luck at times, right? Like that happens as well. And so the season starts and we're cooking along and it's not like I'm going to be screaming, hey, hey, we're at, we're at 60%, we're at 60% because I have enough experience in this in that I know that the other shoe will drop eventually, right? 60% is impossible to maintain if we're going to have a large sample size the way that we do at, you know, over 350 plays. So what are we supposed to do if we're at 60%, right? We talked about this a few, you know, good month, maybe six weeks ago, talking about the idea of like just sitting on our record, right? Just sitting on it and just going like, yeah, oh, I hit 60%. And then people are like, oh, how many games? Oh, 170 games. You go, okay, that's a decent sample size. The truth is it's not. And what, we're just going to stop betting on these games? Like we're hitting at 60%. Like it's, you know, going pretty well. I'm not just going to walk away. Like we're doing a show here and I'm not just going to sit here and be like, well, I might play this, but well, you know, we're sitting at 60%. So I don't want to blow that. Like, that's just not what we're going to do here, right? And the truth is, and we talked about this, and this is the same sort of speech you're going to get that we get, that I gave after the NFL season. The difference between succeeding, right, at 55%, in this case 54%, and having a big season or having a meh season where you sort of break even is frankly luck. Right. And as much as we've all you know, been involved in sports our whole lives, think we know everything about sports and can predict the future when it comes to sports. Right. Just try betting for a little while and you'll figure it out. Right. And maybe you're super stubborn and you just think, oh, yeah, well, no, like, you know, uh, this that was a fluke or this, that or whatever. The fact of the matter is this whole thing comes down to luck. Right. So early on, we weren't getting the bad beats. Right, we were, you know, occasionally there'd be one or two here or there, but things were playing out pretty quietly when it came to late game situations. We, you know, reference underdog plays at plus four and a half, plus six and a half, plus seven and a half, a lot of those winning outright. So there's not a ton of luck necessarily in that case, but more often than not, you know, we did okay as far as staying away from colossal bad beats, which isn't always the case. I've had Novembers in college basketball where it was just ludicrous bad beat after ludicrous bad beat, right? That happens. So we weren't getting these bad beats. Things were, you know, playing out pretty normally, right? The wins were happening the way they should. The losses were happening the way that they should. And we were probably, frankly, on the winning side of more than our fair share of end game shenanigans, right? That free throw type situation, you know, didn't have the, you know, plus one and a half, or I should say minus one and a half that, you know, is up four and a late three pointer, meaningless three pointer hits to have the plus one and a half side come in. We didn't have a ton of that chaos. And frankly, I don't think we even had any of that um somehow this season right we didn't have a ton of underdogs go and die in overtime we had the sweat of it we had the sweat of a plus four and a half going to overtime and still ended up doing okay and then late in the season we had some bad luck right the six and three days turned into four and fives the days that were you know we'd play 14 games on a saturday and we'd go you know 
10 and 4, 9 and 5, you know, something along those lines. Those started turning into 7 and 7s because we had a few bad breaks along the way, right? During the week, a 4 and 2, you know, something that looked dead nuts 4 and 2 goes 3 and 3. And that's how the percentage slowly drops. Some seasons are like that, where you get hot early, and then some seasons are, you know, the opposite, where you get hot late. And that's just a lesson in flat betting where just because things are going really well at 60% doesn't mean it's all right, press win hot, here we go, like let's ramp up the betting because the numbers are going to work out against you because we're betting, you know, 11 into 10, right? We're putting up 11 and they're giving us back 10. It's no different than a blackjack table, than a roulette table, craps table. The longer you sit there, the longer you stand there putting your chips on that table, the longer you have for the variance to go away and the odds that are already stacked against you to be against you, right? To have you end up losing, right? But it's hard to walk away from the roulette table, from the craps table, from the blackjack table. But if you did and you just, you know, you did okay, you understood that that was short-term variance, let's take our money, let's go to a different table and have hopefully another short-term variant hot streak, right? And we try to play as well as we possibly can because we know how to get the best edge we possibly can, right? We know the right bets to make at a craps, ta at a craps table so that you're not, um, you know, getting the worst of it, if you will. And it's the same sort of thing when it comes to, in this case, college basketball, but back in the fall, football, right? Get the best of the number, understand what value means. Defining hot and cold as well, right? Like it, when it comes to luck, but if your line of expectation is 53%, again, we talked about this in football where it's like, okay, I think we're, you know, I think with a normal season here, we're going to go 55%. Same sort of deal with college basketball, maybe even a little bit lower because it's that much harder than the NFL. But if you think that's the case and you have over the course of time proved that out, right? Like I talked about my record over the course of all the contests, 11 years of doing NFL contests in Las Vegas in the super contest and then Circa Million and going like, okay, like it's pretty clear that over 11 years going 55% is my sort of standard. Now, in order to win money in those contests, I need those years where they go, you know, where I'm on the right side of a bunch of luck, quite frankly. Right? Isn't, you know, when I went 61, 62% to get into the money in the super contest, it wasn't because like I was just really good that year or I had a good beat on the, on the league, right? Because the sports books have as good a beat on the league, so to speak, as anybody. It's really just a matter of, did you have more lucky endings than you had unlucky endings? Or did you just avoid all of the unlucky endings? And so that, you know, your quality of handicapping was able to shine through without a bunch of BS happening at the end of games, right? Rutgers, I'm cheering for them to make their last shot. I'm cheering against them for 50, sorry, 40 minutes or 39 and a half minutes. And then all of a sudden in the last 10 seconds, I'm dying for them to make a basket so that that cashes our bet. They don't make the basket there. Overtime starts and they end up winning by six or seven points. And you go, wow, okay, not, not pretty. So over the course of 350 games, you know, at plus 12 units, which again, I would sign up for at the start of the season. If you told me, here's a piece of paper, sign up for six, you know, 12 units, go for it. I'd be like, yeah, I'll take it. Anybody would. But you have to understand that that's six games that if the, the wins turn to losses, right, the 12 units become zero units. Six games over the course of 350 games. That's essentially a losing season or a break-even season. Think about it this way. Even just in the last couple of weeks, all of these games that have gone against us in that last bit where it's we lost by a half point, lost by a point and a half. If six games go right, we're up near 25 units for the entire season. Like, that's how crazy this is. And again, that's over 350 games. Six games out of there, right? Less than 2% of the games if they go one way or another. And now all of a sudden we're either breaking even if they go badly or we're 25 units to the good. So any money made is a victory in all of this. And I said the same thing after football season. Putting these plays out there for everyone and having success is really validating. And I'm proud of that, right? Like I started this podcast over a year ago. And then, of course, the, you know, 
COVID hits and the pandemic happens and uh, we're all shut down and all of the sports are shut down. And so we really started this back up in earnest in July for hockey and the NBA. And hockey goes really well and the NBA goes really well. And then football season, we have a good football season. And then college basketball, we end up on the plus side for college basketball. And again, I turn this microphone on and we talk about it, um, what plays we're going to make. And God, if we just added a lot of the plays that we didn't make, we'd have a lot more uh, at the end of the season as well. But it's out there, right? And that's sort of like a scary proposition, right? Because find me the other show that puts out plays and talks about them the next day. Find me that show, especially on a daily basis, about a bunch of different sports, by the way. There is so much unaccountable trash out there in the social media space, and it's just brutal to see. Because people, you know, 15,000 followers of some idiot who puts out a video when he's in a bathtub or he's in a, a hot tub in his backyard or whatever, giving out a play. Well, what if that play loses? Does he talk about that the next day? Does he even put a video out the next day? Does he put one out for a week? Does everybody just unfollow him because he lost that play? No. So there's just such a bunch of garbage out there that winning, for me, out here is something to celebrate. And so that's what I'm doing here on a Monday morning, the same way that we did for the football season, the same way that we did for the hockey season. And I would get more into self-promoting while these things are happening, but I understand you know, the other shoe can drop. It can get, uh, I understand the uh, superstition of it more than anybody. So we don't do that as we go along. We just wait for the end of the season and then we go, hey, how did we do? And in this case, any time we're on the plus side of being out here, putting these plays out on Twitter, here on the podcast, we got to be pumped about it. Next up, Let's talk about the futures portfolio. It's March. It's now really March, right? We are now shifting into conference tournament season and, of course, the NCAA tournament. Um, you know, we'll talk a little bit more about these, obviously, when the tournament starts. But once the bracket comes out on Sunday, it's going to be like all bracket talk all the time. And so, you know, obviously, as the games play out, we're going to talk about the futures portfolio that we have here that if you've been following along since hopefully last summer, but even if you haven't, that's okay, too. You know, and we don't want to beat this down, you know, we don't want to beat this dead horse because, again, not everybody got every single play at the same price and all of that kind of thing, right? So we try not to talk about it too much, but here, as the regular season is finally over... I feel like this is a pretty good time to talk about it because, to be honest with you, there's just not that much going on tonight. So you have two goals when it comes to a futures portfolio. And this is a lesson that you can take into next season. You can take it into a different sport, right? Whether that's baseball, you're into that. Not my thing necessarily, but whatever, right? Any sport you want to take. There's two goals for your futures portfolio. One, you want to get the price at the best possible price, obviously, right? But over the course of a season you have right the season starts or even before the season starts to the end of the season there's going to be different prices on different teams you want to get the best possible price sometimes that's waiting sometimes and more often than not when it comes to the absolute best prices that means before the season starts and of course we have a couple of examples with that in illinois and alabama this season and so you might want to wait to make sure that your price relative to the chances in this case of your team making the tournament um sort of line up Right? Or in other cases, you want to get in before people find out about this team. And then the second goal when it comes to college basketball, your team, you want your team after you've made the bet to improve their chances, right? Not necessarily improve their odds, though that's obviously, you know, ideal and the first part of this, but you want them to improve their chances. You want them to improve their seeding in the tournament, right? So we'll go through um, and fundamentally each seed has its own value for me right so our goal for seeding first and foremost is nothing below a nine seed right because tens and above like as as cutesy as some of the stories are and maybe occasionally they'll make a final four but then trying to pick which year and which team are the teams that are going to do that like you're going to need just an absolute hilariously high price right you're going to need a 400 or 500 to one type of thing now, there are some four and 500 to one type teams out there. And, you know, like, I guess you could make those plays because you think that UNC Greensboro can make a regional final. 
I don't have to be, you know, I don't happen to be of that ilk, right? I'm seeing UNC Greensboro at thir uh, 350 to 1. Is that a play that I want to make? No, because that means I'm probably also going to have to play a North Texas and, uh, you know, Wright State or something along those lines. Although I think Wright State lost this past weekend. So that would be a really bad play to make. An Abilene Christian at 350 to 1. Right? Like, these aren't, aren't ever going to be valuable enough relative to the amount of time that they're going to win. Now, you get your odd Syracuses of the world or whatever. But, again, Syracuse, 150 to 1 as a potential 11 seed. I don't think so. So fundamentally, you want an 8-9 or better. Now, your 8-9 needs to be a team that can obviously beat a 1 seed, right? Has to have some something about them that at least gives them a chance to beat that 1 seed, essentially replacing that 1 seed in the tournament. And so I'm going to need a 100-1 to one for anything from a 6 seed to a 9 seed, right? Anything that's going to be an underdog in the second round has to be 60 to 1 or, or excuse me 100 to 1 or better where we then get into the 60 to 1 range is the 4-5 game right you're a you're a um, heavy favorite or significant favorite probably sort of on average an 8 to 9 point favorite against a 12 or a 13 seed and that you're capable of beating the one seed on that saturday or sunday in this case sunday or monday because the schedule is so tweaked this season that's what I'm looking for when I'm when I'm trying to bet a team at 61. I need them to try to get into a 4-5 matchup. Into the 3 seed, right? You're looking at not a top-tier team, and so I don't want it to have to pay a top-tier price. I want something in 30 to 1 or better than that. And if they can we can do better than that, that's great. For a 1 and a 2 seed, I have the same sort of level on this because I, you know, Essentially, we're favored to make a regional final. I don't know that there's a ton of difference between the threes and fours when it comes to your opponent, right? When we get into the Sweet 16 and say Alabama as a two seed is playing, you know, whomever as a three seed, is that three seed really that much better than a four? I'll use it Oklahoma State, for example, right? Like, I think that's a team that should end up being a three seed in the tournament. But, you know, the projections right now, Joe Lunardi, et cetera, et cetera, have them as a four seed. Okay, obviously the big difference there is not facing a number one seed on, you know, earlier. And that's a big deal on a season like this where, you know, we have a pretty obvious four number ones, right? Michigan, Illinois, and of course, Baylor and Gonzaga. So from a one and two seed standpoint, most more often than not, I just want a 20 to one or better. This idea that like there's value on an eight to one or a value on a six to one or these two teams this season that have been sitting around three to one or four to one for the entire season, it just doesn't ring true to me because sure, like maybe their point spread, they never have a pick 'em game until the final four. But even if you just factor the fact that they would have to play themselves, right? That you're saying they have to play each other, I should say, right? That the idea that Gonzaga and Baylor, in theory, are going to have to beat either Gonzaga or Baylor at some point, and that game's going to be essentially a pick 'em. And that's not even including, you know, the final four matchup, right? So I think there's just a better chance that, first of all, rolling over money lines, even starting in the Sweet 16, is a better option. And you also avoid the possibility of losing an 8-9 game against one of the teams that we're going to talk about here shortly. So as far as our portfolio is concerned, Illinois and Alabama are our big horses, and that is back from August. I'm going to include after the um, you know goodbye, if you will, at the very end of this podcast, after I sign off, I'm going to include a clip from last August talking about Alabama and Illinois as futures right just so that if you're new to the podcast or listen it was back in august so you probably weren't around back in august and that's why we're not harping on this too much but just so you know that's the type of thing that even in august when nba and the nhl and baseball are going on that we're still keeping up with what's going on in college basketball futures so i'm going to include that at the very end of this show but our number one seed here is Illinois, thrilled with how they've done. And if we're being honest, if we're in the trust tree, are we in the trust tree right now? Are we in, you know, can I, can I get out on a branch here? I didn't think Illinois was going to win all three of these games. Wisconsin, at Wisconsin, at Michigan, at Ohio State. Like, that is an incredible finish. And as much as everybody is sort of all in on Michigan, 
You know, they did have a two, three week break and a lot of their games were home games. A lot of their big wins, their resume wins were home games. And then we see them yesterday and they go on the road to Michigan State, a team obviously, quote unquote, desperate for a win. But Michigan State was desperate for a win when they went to Ann Arbor earlier this week and got absolutely trucked. So I don't know, I don't think that the difference between home and road is 25 points. But it just goes to show that Michigan might be a different team if they don't have all of or the vast majority of their quote unquote tough games at home. So I've been slow to buy into Michigan. It was in, you know, in theory, it's the one team that I haven't, that I missed out on essentially, right? As far as like their price was way better much earlier on the season, right? Gonzaga and Baylor have always had their price where they have it, right? It's always been inside of 10 to one and kudos to them for being the teams that have stuck with that valuation and improved that valuation because there was a handful of other teams that that valuation fell off. So Illinois is our one seed, and we have them from back uh, in the summertime at better than 70 to 1. 77 to 1, 74 to 1, 71 to 1. Obviously, maybe one of the great bets of all time for me. Is that going to mean, you know, does that mean that's going to win? No. You know what was a really good bet last night? Mike Conley to win the three-point competition, right? Like, massive underdog. Like, I think he was dead last as far as, like, guys, you know, you know, betting public or betting odds type of guy. And he ends up being one Steph Curry, you know, run on the last rack away from winning. But he didn't win. Great bet, didn't win. Illinois, probably not going to win, right? Percentages are, you know, that he's just not, that they're not going to win. Even at 12 to 1 right now, that's an implied percentage of 7.7%. <laughs> We're not talking about a high likelihood of them winning. But that's a lot better than the 1.3% chance that a 77 to 1 uh, you know, underdog or price, if you will, um, you know, extrapolates out to in a win probability. So that's our one seed that we're rolling with. And nothing obviously over the last couple of weeks have shown us that that's not an incredibly exciting bet. Uh, our two seeds are Alabama, same episode, same clip that we'll ha that I'll have at the end of this show. And, you know, we're sitting there with them at 110 to 1, 125 to 1, different pieces um, from last summer. Obviously, that's quite a bit better than 20 to 1 for our two seed. Ohio State talked about this not that long ago, uh, January 29th, uh, 51 to 1, right? A team that we thought could improve their positioning and improve their price. Well, now they're 20 to 1, and now they're a two seed. That's not where they were back on January 29th. So, success from that standpoint. Our three seed is West Virginia. And again, these could change. West Virginia could get knocked out early. They could fall back to a four seed. Maybe they win the Big 12 tournament and they get bumped up to a two seed. Obviously, these things are in flux, but worth talking about them now because we have a little more time. 30 to 1 back on just February 16th. Now they're down to 22 to 1. Not a huge adjustment, right? About a 1.1% improvement from that standpoint and maybe a one seed bump, right? Where they sat at four, I believe they were the four seed um, when the committee did their sort of preliminary announcement on that Saturday about the top four seeds in each quote unquote region. So West Virginia is our three seed. In our four seed, Oklahoma State, right? Grabbed them at 100 to one, talked about that uh, a week later on February 23rd with uh, Ted Ballantyne, and they were at 100 to one. And we talked about just the idea, like there's no way the committee, I shouldn't say the committee, I should say the NCAA, there's no way they're going to rush to get Oklahoma State out of um, the tournament. It's They're just too exciting. Cade Cunningham is too big of a deal for them to be out of the tournament. And so when that was happening, they were around an 8-9 seed. Even some cases, some people had them as a 10. Well, they reeled off a couple of wins against Oklahoma State, uh, excuse me, against Oklahoma. And now they've pulled off a road win over the weekend, incredibly impressive win without Cunningham, without Likely. And now we, I think that they should be a three seed, but they're currently sitting at a four seed. Their number is up to 60 to one from 100 to one. So again, success from that standpoint. Is, are they going to win? Are they going to set up a situation where we can hedge off of them? Who knows? That's the exciting part of March Madness. Next one up, five, fifth seed, 
Florida State and Colorado are both sitting, according to Joe Lunardi, as a five seed. Florida State at 29 to 1 has moved up to 25 to 1. At one point, we thought they would get to a four seed in that mix. They were sort of the last team out of that 16 teams that were seeded in that preliminary announcement. And just a couple of bad losses, right? Of, you know, getting beat up pretty good by Notre Dame over the weekend is keeping them from being outside of that. But from a basketball standpoint, we still like Florida State's chances. We always do. You can almost always pencil them into a regional final, right? Like they are going to somehow get there one way or another. Not a team, as they say, that anybody wants to play in the NCAA tournament. In Colorado, the problem with Colorado, their number is essentially where it is still, right? They haven't moved off 60 to 1 because they didn't win the Pac-12. I mean, they may end up winning the Pac-12 tournament this week, still a very good contender for that, but they've actually been a victim of one of our other teams, and that's Oregon, who has moved up from being in the 8-9 game, right? We talked about get them out of their 8-9 game, let's have them avoid a second round game against one of these one seeds, and now they're sitting at a six seed. So they blew right through seven and have hit six as they have won the Pac-12. Now that's actually hurt Colorado because Colorado doesn't get that recognition as the Pac-12 regular season champion. Now we'll see what happens, of course, come the tournament here, but it would be hard to imagine Oregon falling back into that 8-9 game and Colorado sitting as a five seed as you know in that same region if you will not region sort of from a tournament standpoint but from a you know seeding region a five six type of zone you know the idea that Colorado's a five Oregon is a six I think there's still some room for both teams to maneuver up um, should they have a really good Pac-12 tournament so obviously Oregon 70 to 1 still available by the way so a team that's improved their seeding from eight nine right in the line of fire when it comes to playing a one seed in the second round to moving up to a six seed where now you're just dealing with a three seed and frankly i think oregon's better than most of these three seeds that are lined up here right oregon and west virginia like what's the line for that going to be and that's two teams that we like right like that's got to be a pick em type of a game at this point so we got oregon sitting at a six seed that's a great improvement right right along with oklahoma state and an improvement in how difficult their route for the title is going to be, or at least to get to the final four. And then finally, we had a couple of others. We have, I should say one other, and that's North Carolina, a team that at 60 to one, now at 50 to one, essentially what they've avoided is falling out of the tournament. And right now, Lenardi has them in the 8-9 game. And so when we're talking about 8-9 teams that you want to be backing at a certain price, sure, would I like to have 100-1 to on North Carolina? I would, right? If they hadn't lost to, say, Marquette, for example, if they hadn't had a couple of other losses since we made this play back on that January 29th episode, they might be a 4 a five, even a six seed, right? Something that at 60 to one is was more palatable. We were hoping they could make that move. And I suppose there's still a possibility. Let's say they run through the ACC tournament, putting it all together, making shots, having their big guys be big. And let's say they win the ACC tournament and they knock off, you know, Florida State or Virginia along the way. How do you keep them back in the eight, nine? right? The committee's not going to have them in the 8-9 game and sort of treat them like they treated, you know, Kentucky back in the Wichita State, you know, when the Wichita State was undefeated and a one seed and got a Kentucky team that was loaded because they had a slow start to their season. So if it's an 8-9 game, like I don't want it to be Ole Miss against, you know, Virginia Tech. I want it to be North Carolina because I think they have the talent to compete with a Gonzaga, a Baylor, a Michigan, for example. You can't tell me that Michigan losing pretty easily to Michigan State yesterday, that they cannot be beat by a big North Carolina team that has a lot of adults on the front line. And as much as Dickinson is a adult, he's also still a freshman. And when, you know, if he gets into foul trouble, that could be an issue. Now, I don't know what the matchup's going to be. I don't even know if, you know, North Carolina is going to be in that 8-9 game. But these are the things that I think have opportunity. And that brings us to our ad here. 
And I should mention, of course, that we had Duke as well. We got it at a good price at 100 to 1. Hilariously, they are still somehow 50 to 1. So they, you know, we got them at 100 to 1. They move up to 50 to 1. They actually lose um, probability, if you will, of making the tournament and then still end up a better, you know, at a better number. And now they have to play an extra game. They play Tuesday in the ACC tournament, just an unlike charted territory for Duke. And they still are 50 to 1. So that just shows you sort of grabbing that price at the market, even though I don't think there's any chance Duke gets into the NCAA tournament. This is going to be, you know, until things went awry last year, this is going to be like North Carolina and Syracuse, where it was like, are these teams going to make the tournament? They're going to have to win the ACC tournament. And like, we never found out whether they were going to or not, but they probably weren't. And in this case, Duke is not winning five straight games, going from Tuesday to Saturday. Win, 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 win. So we let that go. That's fine. That was a half unit play. Talked about adding a half unit just because we were already into it. On the money line against North Carolina on Saturday, of course, that went awry. And so uh, we should be able to more than make that back with any kind of semblance of a decent run from some of our you know, really good futures plays. Which brings me, again, to the ad here. And this is one where right now they are an 8-9 type of a seed. This has all the makings of them causing a problem here against, again, maybe I've got sort of Michigan pinpointed here, but I think that right now is the team that's most vulnerable to this type of team. And that's UConn. Right now, 80 to 1, widely available, so it's not at our 100 to 1 range. It's a team we've talked about a little bit over the last couple of weeks, hoping that maybe there would be a loss in there that would send them not out of the tournament, even sort of keep them where they are, but that would keep them a little bit under the radar here. There is enough going on there when it comes to all the pieces competing with some of these really good teams, including star, you know, guard forward James Booknight. It's a Connecticut team that just looks the part, as a Connecticut team usually does. And again, who knows how it all shakes out with regards to um, seeding and stuff, but there's also a possibility that in the Big East, the way things have gone here in the last, literally over the weekend, essentially, that they could improve their position by winning the Big East tournament. Now, they don't have to win the Big East tournament to get into the NCAA tournament, but I'm talking from a seeding standpoint. Not many of these teams can do that to move up, right? Not many of these teams in the 8-9 line, North Carolina certainly one of them, can impress here that to move themselves up into the 6th seed, for example, like in Oregon, right? Oregon had to win, you know, what, 7 out of 8 games since we made this bet on Oregon in order to move up three spots. What are the other teams that can do that and that might do that, right? Sure, there's a bunch of other eight, nine type teams who, who in theory could move up with winning their conference tournament. They're just not going to do that. UConn could, right? Villanova without, you know, Colin Gillespie. Not great in the first half against Providence. Now Providence almost kicked that game away on Sunday, but that's Providence, that's a Providence issue. More than it is a, you know, I think Villanova's fine somehow, right? Jay Wright went on TV and he talked about how now they have to worry about themselves when they were a program that had to just worry about who they were playing. But now they have to figure out what they're doing. They lost another guy on Saturday as well. So the injuries are piling up to Villanova. Creighton has suspended their head coach. Now they went up and, you know, bullied and beat up Butler, much to our chagrin on Saturday. But I think, you know, winning three or four games here in three or four days, you know, isn't exactly the easiest thing to do when your coach is just gone, right? And yeah, they might be able to piece together a couple of wins. They may even make it to the second weekend of the tournament. But I think a team like UConn can beat Creighton. So, you know, if I'm worried about Nova, I'm worried about Creighton. Who else am I worried about in the Big East tournament? Well, I'm not worried about Butler, Marquette, Georgetown, St. John's, though kudos to them for making a big comeback against Seton Hall. By the way, not worried about Seton Hall. Not particularly worried about Providence. So I think UConn can win this Big East tournament and move themselves up out of that 8-9 game into a 7 seed, maybe even a 6 seed, something along the lines of Oregon, right? We're just looking for opportunities here to move up and get an easier path 
in the NCAA tournament, and I think UConn has that capability, and so we'll be on them at 80 to 1, and that should be it, right? Like, there's a couple of others where you can sort of talk yourself in. Michigan State is at 80 to 1, but again, I don't know that that's a team that can make a run. You know, I don't know that they're going to improve their position all that much here. I think what they, you know, they know they've done what they needed to do to get in the tournament and essentially sort of save themselves the embarrassment that a lot of these uh, obviously blue blood type teams have had, right? Like they've been able to do that. And so mission accomplished, right? That game against Michigan was, you know, their Super Bowl. And so now I think that they're feeling pretty good about that. Uh, as for today, um, small conference, half unit plays. These got worked over a bit that I handed out on uh, Twitter, but that's why we call them darts. Like, there's no pretense. These are, hey, let's do a very quick scan of who we think has a little value here, who we think can win these games, and, you know, is what it is, right? Like, they're just for entertainment purposes even more than betting already is for us. And so... We'll get those back with big conference tournaments, right? It's like the idea that, okay, we lost, you know, a handful of plays here, I think four or five games under 500 at a half unit each. It's two and a half, right? Like we're going to be able to, you know, get that back. That is going to be a drop in the bucket after conference tournament week is over. So as for tonight's games, I do have a bunch of, you know, half unit type conference tournament type plays and uh, hopefully those go a lot better than they have over the course of this weekend. Uh, I'm going to start with UNC Greensboro minus five against Mercer. I watched basically the entire game between Mercer and VMI last night. Um, VMI just did not show up for that game. They couldn't hit a shot. Mercer was hitting everything. I think Greensboro is the class um, of the SoCon, and I think minus five is a little bit short in this one. I'll take them to win and punch their ticket to the dance relatively easily against the seven seed in the conference. Mercer, fun little run for them to get to the final, but I don't think they're going to be able to seal the deal. Uh, in the Colonial Athletic, I'm going to try Northeastern here, plus one and a half against Drexel. And then in we've got semifinal action in the Horizon. Remember the quarterfinals were last week? Everybody was going nuts about how great the quarterfinals were. And then they just took three days off, I guess, to bubble up here for the semifinals. And uh, I think Milwaukee plus three and a half is a pretty good bet against Cleveland State. And in the other one, I'll try Northern Kentucky, a team that's constantly in the final in the Horizon League. I realize Oakland is better than they normally are this year, but at minus one and a half, I'll take my shot here with North Kentucky. Again, half units across the board here. Um, and then we're going to try a thing. And it's going to be called bet on Gonzaga and watch them beat the absolute breaks off of a team. And that's going to be the to the tune of Gonzaga minus 18 against St. Mary's tonight. No play in the other West Coast Conference game. I have BYU minus 9.5. The number is 8.5. So, again, I mean, a tiny lean to BYU, but nothing that's across a key number where I would desperately want to, um, you know, push it a little bit. Plus, I think that game's super late at night, and I'm not staying up for Pepperdine and BYU, knowing that whoever wins that game is just going to get smoked by Gonzaga on Tuesday. Uh, and then finally, I'm leaning towards App State plus seven against Georgia State. Georgia State almost kicked away that game to my personal favorite in the Sun Belt, Louisiana Lafayette, but they managed to pull away in that one. So six half unit jobbies tonight in college basketball. UNC Greensboro minus five, Northeastern plus one and a half, Milwaukee plus three and a half, Northern Kentucky minus one and a half, Gonzaga by a truckload at minus 18, and App State plus seven as they say in hockey let's do that hockey and thank you very much laszlo of course we've got to do a little let's do that hockey not a ton going on tonight but we have to do a recap of the weekend we'll go all the way back to friday back to the chicago blackhawks plus 165 different game from thursday of course you recall getting to overtime with the Blackhawks at plus 190. Tampa Bay scores with 0.1 seconds left on the clock. Almost sends me into a tailspin. But we had to go back to the well. It was the only bet that we made on Friday. And of course, it ends up being sort of the dead opposite game where Tampa Bay takes an early lead and Chicago has to, you know, 
fight back and they do they end up tying it we go of course back to overtime and this time chicago makes it all the way through the 300 seconds of overtime and forces a shootout which is obviously one of the better positions that we want to be in with regards to the blackhawks and they get it done and they win the shootout that felt really good right especially after the night um of before and you know just to get a weekend going with a plus 165 winner felt really good then we get to florida and nashville on saturday afternoon and this couldn't be the more anonymous type of a game so i imagine you probably missed it that being said i put out a preview on the action network app uh saying you have an option here and pick one or the other right and it was either the under or nashville and the idea being that nashville had played pretty defense you know pretty well defensively and you know it was just one bad period essentially against florida um felt pretty good strangely enough about well certainly felt good about florida's goaltending but felt pretty good about pecorine um in the second chance here against florida after sort of you know buckling it up here in that first game where they ended up losing uh was five to four something along those lines and and then it goes awry and florida smokes nashville and scoring early and often and so a classic box score situation where you go man this is probably ugly isn't it this is going to be gross and you look at the advanced analytics and you go well the florida panthers had four high danger scoring chances in the entire game so you go okay that's odd a lot of goals for a team that scored that you know created only four high danger chances then you look up how many of those high danger chances were converted down because you know one out of four is a really high number for four chances right two out of four is a really high number that's 50 percent of your high danger chances a thing that gets converted about 15 percent of the time at league average they converted four <laughs> they converted four out of four for the first time all season now i go every day and i'm recording high danger chances how many get converted expected goals for every single game in the central division and for the north division i haven't seen three out of four i haven't seen i don't think i've seen better than 50 percent in a one game sample size outlier situation they got all four they got four goals and four high danger scoring chances so you just go well what and then you looked at the expected goals for and nashville actually was 1.5 expected goals for at even strength to 1.06 for florida so they had 60 percent of the expected goals for in the game nowhere near to what happened on the scoreboard pekka rene stopped slightly more than 80 percent of his shots now for those of you relatively new to hockey you want to have it higher than 90 percent right you want to be in the sort of 920 save percentage maybe even 910 at the absolute worst but like nine you know 90 percent essentially is kind of the mark of demarcation when it comes to goaltending 81 percent brutal right that's eight saves for every 10 shots if you give up 30 shots that's six goals right there obviously anytime he was faced with a high danger scoring chance he let the puck go in the net again that's a 15 percent conversion rate on average he should be stopping 85 percent of these he stopped zero percent of these so you sure you know again you shoulder shrugged and you're bummed out okay like put that preview out was relatively convicted that there was going to be low you know a low amount of goals but what i can do and i can't even do this i was going to say what i can do is i can only control the high danger chances but what the model is spitting out is telling me like okay there's going to be few high danger chances in this game there's going to be a lot of high danger chances like this team is going to have a lot of high danger chances this team's not and relative to the price like that's how we have to make our bet at no point is the model ever going to say they're going to get four high danger scoring chances and they are going to score on all four of them so a mother of outlier type situations uh, a game that we didn't bet that I want to sort of mention is Columbus and Dallas, only because it was sort of interesting in, I thought, you know, those two games, there's a fair price for both um, sides in both games. So there was no bet for me in either one um, on Thursday and then subsequently on Saturday. 
Well, like Columbus wins the first, and then Dallas trucks them in the second. But their expected goals for were pretty much dead even. In the first game, they literally were dead even. We talked about it on Friday. 1.69 for either side. The next game was Dallas 5 to nothing over Columbus, and the expected goals for were 1.0 to 0.96. So over the course of two games where my numbers had them priced evenly, not evenly relative to each other, but evenly relative to the price given, they ended up playing a dead even 5-on-5 five five style of hockey, and one game was 3-2 to two, and the other game was 5 to nothing, And there was no difference between the two games except for on the scoreboard. So just worth mentioning as we sort of go through like what the expectations continue to be for the let's do that hockey model and our boy Laszlo. Uh, late in the night, or should say just in the regular uh, hockey night in Canada, 7 o'clock, Toronto, Vancouver, Montreal, Winnipeg, like Canada fired up. Uh, Toronto, I you know, wrote in the preview, like as per usual, the analytics, the metrics say to fade Toronto. This can't be sustainable. You know, they are the numbers that we are having to pay for Toronto. While they are equal to their results, the results are not equal to the metrics behind them. And the, Toronto was the better team. Toronto had a 2-1 lead through three, uh, through two periods. And then Vancouver scored twice in less than a minute and stole the game. But that's what I mean by variance. Like, that's the type of thing that happens that you have to you know, that you have to understand is going to happen when you're trying to price these games out and evaluate these teams on prices. And minus two, you know, 100 on the Leafs on the road against a Vancouver team that is decent, not great, but like, you know, has decent players. And admittedly, one of them didn't play and Elias Pettersson. And that's why I said we have to throw the analytics out for this one game. Look, look like we should probably just keep betting these numbers. And it's going to be ugly, and it's going to be uncomfortable at times, but it's going to end up being profitable over the course of a long period of time. Problem is, when you diverge away from that, that's when you start losing your edge over the course of the season, right? You stop doing it sort of almost like rote, automatic type plays. You get too deep into the weeds here which is tough because that's what we do as bettors and fans. We watch these games that we bet on and we go, oh, there's no way Toronto's going to take two games from Vancouver, especially without Elias Pettersson, et cetera, et cetera. Well, they did. And it would have been good for another two units had we bet Vancouver. Meanwhile, in Montreal, another good price on betting, you know, pardon the pun, uh, but another good price to bet Montreal. But again, We'd seen them cough up these games over and over and over again. Do we want anything to do with it? Blah, blah, blah. Talked about on Twitter. If there was ever a day to parlay two teams together, it would be Montreal and Toronto in, you know, for the sole purpose of avoiding having to pay the juice with Montreal, even though it was still a valuable bet at minus, you know, 140 for Montreal. You know, egg on my face as Vancouver scores two goals in a minute to beat uh, Toronto. But again, Right, that should be a Vancouver bet. That should be a Montreal bet. We shouldn't be worried about, you know, the roulette wheel. We shouldn't be worried that five blacks had come in a row. We shouldn't be worried that seven, you know, reds had come in a row, and that the other color is due. Right, at the end of the day, betting on hockey, betting on sports in general, it's gambling, because of the sort of fluky nature. But no more than in hockey, where you're dealing with roulette balls bouncing and bouncing and bouncing, and the dice rolling down. And is it going to land on six? Is it going to land on one? And that's the difference between crapping out or making your point. Then Sunday rolls around, and we have Tampa Bay and Chicago for the third straight game. And I wrote a preview about this on the Action Network app. And the idea that, you know, t the uh, favorite plays a lot better in these third games. Whether there's a split or not, that's just the way that it's been. Small sample size, six, seven, eight games this season. But the favorite plays a lot better. And what we had seen from Tampa Bay is when they're playing well, they don't give up goals, right? They, they play an incredibly good defensive style of hockey. And so if my prediction is, or my you know sort of an analysis is that Tampa Bay is going to be the better team here, I don't want to bet Tampa minus 230, minus 240, something along those lines. i rather just take the under here in a game that I think is going to be played the way they want it to be played. Well, Chicago scores three goals <laughs> right off the bat. 
and you go, wow, okay, I guess Tampa Bay is not playing the game that they want to play. And then they do when they score all of the rest of the goals and win relatively comfortable. I believe the final was 6-3. to three. And you go, wow, okay, that's a game that Tampa hadn't really won all season long when it comes to scoring a ton of goals and winning a high-scoring type of a game, right? They win games 3 to nothing, 3-1, to one, something along those lines. Didn't work out. You shrug your shoulders and you go, okay, a rare over. Uh, a rare over win, I should say, for Tampa Bay. Uh, and then finally, Ottawa and Calgary. And we, as, just as we start the weekend, we finish it with a plus 150 or better underdog win. Ottawa, you know, it plays out kind of exactly as I wrote about in the Action Network preview, which is nice given the fact that the other two games didn't. Uh, but, you know, we get a 2 nothing lead for the Senators. We get a 3-1 to one lead for the Senators. They have three breakaways throughout the game and can't get that third goal especially when it comes to people who have the early payout option over at Bet365. For those who don't know, Bet365, if you have an access to it, has this early payout where you win a hockey game if you go up three goals. They just cash out your, your bet and you win no matter what happens. And in hockey, like there's kind of a lot of three-goal comebacks, so this can come in handy, avoiding complete meltdowns from your side. Well, we didn't get the third goal, so now we've got to stress out a third period where it's a 3-1 to start the period. And, of course, here come the power plays for Calgary. Power play, you know, power plays we are difficult to predict, and I'm certainly not going to predict Calgary getting eight of them from the referees to Ottawa's two. Now, in the third period, were they the much better team? Yes, they had Ottawa hemmed in the entire game, or excuse me, entire third period, because they're trying to come back from a 3-1 deficit, and Ottawa is trying to hang on for dear life. Calgary, of course, scores twice, I believe both on the power play, and it's a tie game. Now we go to overtime. We go to overtime, and listen, Ottawa ends up winning this game in a shootout. So that allows us sort of the freedom to be able to you know whine about the referees for a second maybe the worst refereed game i've seen all season now, i'm not watching a ton of hockey necessarily because we do a lot of this stuff of course based on the numbers but just sitting there and watching every single thing get called against ottawa and then we get to overtime and you know tim stoitzel who's uh arguably one of the senator's best players at this point sort of tricky to tell sometimes um but he's a rookie and he gets hauled down he gets a stick put in between his legs and he falls down. Now it's overtime. The referees don't want to call a penalty in overtime and have it to go four to three, even though they were fine doing that. Not the same guys, of course, but even though they were fine doing that against Chicago on Friday, where Chicago had to survive, by the way, a two-minute full four-on-three situation in overtime. Well, it's a clear trip, and so they call the penalty on Calgary, but because they don't want anybody going on the power play in overtime, they call a dive on this kid for Ottawa. This kid's 18 years old. He's not diving full speed after somebody puts their stick between his legs. That's not a thing. And he goes flying into the boards, could have hurt himself. He didn't do that on purpose. Just an atrocious call. Now, fist pumps 10 minutes later as Ottawa ends up winning in the shootout. Stoitzel gets a goal to start the shootout. Uh, this thing goes five or six shots deep. It was dramatic and allows us to sort of complain about the referees without it sounding like sour grapes because we won the bet. Uh, as for tonight, a tough spot for Ottawa having to play back-to-back, -back, right? They took advantage of it against Calgary, having Calgary played the night before in Edmonton. Now Ottawa is going on the road and has to play Edmonton tonight, but I'm not willing to pay the price on Edmonton at this point, minus 225. So the strict numbers play say that it's the Senators. I expect Joey Decord, their backup goaltender, to be in. I kind of expect this to look a lot like the Montreal game with Ottawa last week where they were playing these games against Calgary and then Calgary went home and then Ottawa had to go play Montreal and it was a relatively low scoring game but there just wasn't much there for offense for Ottawa I imagine that's going to be the case I don't necessarily want to mess around with the total even though I think it could be a relatively low scoring game just because Edmonton might end up just shelling the poor you know rookie goaltender uh, in that one so if, uh, fundamentally the bet is not betting it and sometimes that's okay as well I wrote one preview for the Action Network app. Montreal goes into Vancouver. Again, uh, got to watch the status for Elias Pettersson. Got to watch to see who's going to start for Vancouver. Got to watch, you know, this or that, whatever. 
Um, but Montreal minus 150, I think, is going to be a bet for me tonight. Again, depending on sort of how all of this shakes out. Nothing higher than minus 150. We've talked about plus 150 and minus 150 as this, you know, mathematical mark of demarcation when it comes to profitability and sort of long-term what the expectation is, um, you know, with those prices. And so for me, Montreal minus 150 would be worth a play if, again, Patterson is out. Um, and certainly definitely would be with Braden Holpian, but even with Demko, and I talked about this in the preview, that he gave up 11 goals in two games against Montreal earlier on in the season, and it's not like Vancouver played particularly great against Toronto, and so it's not like they've turned things around. Uh, I don't know that Montreal has particularly turned things around either. Again, talk about that in more depth in the preview. Uh, that's it for today. Tomorrow, dig in, we're digging into the brackets for the major conferences with Ted Ballantyne. Fun little game. He's going to try to guess who I'm taking for each tournament. Sort of, he's going to get the odds. He's going to have the bracket, and he's going to try to guess who my pick is relative to the betting markets for each tournament. So that should be fun, um, and of course, a busier night for Let's Do That Hockey. One last thing, check out the podcast page, the underscore window underscore podcast on betsperts.com. Best bets put up there each day. Five and one to start there. Until tomorrow, I'll see you at the window. Hey guys, for those of us of a certain age, you might remember cassette tapes. Yeah, remember those things? And you'll buy a quote-unquote album or a cassette, and there would be a bonus track every once in a while on uh, you know, that band's cassette. And it would be after like a minute of dead air, but you'd see, oh, there's a lot of room left on this cassette tape. And then you'd fast forward, and then boom, there it was. Some sort of sneaky bonus song type of thing. We're doing that here a little bit, and it's not that fun because it's not like there's some great wisdom here or some bet that's definitely going to win. But as I talked about in the podcast, I thought I would include a clip from last summer talking about futures plays. Now, again, does this really help you going forward? No, obviously the best of the number is long gone on both these teams. Hopefully you've got them maybe in the 25 to 1 range where they were at some point during this season. That being said, and we're keeping it to the end for a reason. It's kind of an advertisement. It's kind of an advertisement for this podcast in that you never know which episode is going to bring something really good. That's the kind of deal here with sports betting, right? Sometimes Saturday, February 7th is a really great day for the picks. Other times it's seven and seven. Sometimes, you know, three and three. And then other times it's six and oh. You never know when the advertisement is going to come through. So in this case, uh, I just wanted to give you this clip from last August. Obviously, you know, probably not going back searching through a bunch of hockey and NBA picks just to listen to this clip. And so I just thought I would keep it out there. So when we're thinking about listening to the show this summer, maybe you go, you know what? You never know what kind of thing we might stumble ourselves into. So hopefully you're interested enough to check that out. Otherwise, enjoy. It's August. Who cares? Nobody's betting college basketball. How could there possibly be any news? Well, in this crazy, weird, upside-down circumstance that we're dealing with here, there actually is news, and it's significant news this week, right? These guys who have who had declared for the draft have to decide whether or not they're coming back to school or whether they're staying in the draft. Now, these decisions would all be made back in, like, April or May under normal circumstances. Well, guess what? unprecedented times. So these decisions are being made this week and it's super under the radar because of all this other chaos with sports. And when you have top level guys who are, it's not like they're declaring to go be a doctor, they're declaring to play in the NBA. So obviously they're good enough to be potential NBA prospects. And so when these guys decide, you know what, I might not be getting drafted here after all, you know, it doesn't mean they're any less of a player. They're still the top player 
on their college team from the year before. So when they decide, okay, I'm coming back to college, these college teams are getting a pretty huge boost, right? And so these odds are being set based on the fact that these guys have left the team and now all of a sudden they're coming back. And if the odds don't get adjusted for that, then that's when we have to pounce. And it's maybe a little bit annoying that we're tying up you know, college basketball, you know, tying up money on college basketball in August. That being said, we're talking about futures prices that are really, really high and really, really valuable that you don't have to put a ton of money into. So it's fine, you know, it should be fine that you can take 1% of your bankroll and sort of scatter it on a couple of these different futures. And so specifically, you're asking like, well, who, who are you talking about? What are you talking about? Illinois, for one, right? Two big returnee announcements. Io DeSunmu, who their sort of, you know, backcourt scorer, clutch guy, guy who they'll have the ball, you know, in his hands in the last five seconds looking for a bucket. He's coming back. And then Kofi Cockburn, who is there just like, adult in the middle so two guys who are key to that team are coming back to a team in illinois with brad underwood of course you remember him from stephen f austin a couple of years ago and that's a team that's getting better and better and was very good this past season and is getting better recruits and you know a team that is on the rise and if the fact that they can keep these two veteran guys here makes them very much a final four contender and that's still available at Sports Interaction in the 60s. Now, I tweeted it out at the time. You know, we were looking at like 75 to 1 for Illinois and just banged away on that. Basically hit the limit for Illinois in that situation. Again, limits aren't very high, full disclosure, right? They'll take a bet. I think the first bet that they took from me was like 8 bucks. It was hilarious. The next day, I was able to come in, and it was still in the 70s. I don't know that it was necessarily 74 to 1, which I think was the first number it was at, you know, but they adjust it to 71, and, you know, they actually opened up their limits a little bit higher after that adjustment. I still think that number is too high. It's 64 to 1 right now, so obviously, you know, some of the value has been taken out of it, but I think that true number is closer to a 40 uh, 40 to 1, 35 to 1, something along those lines. Um, and a number that I doubt goes higher when all the other books start reopening, right? It will be interesting to see what Bet365 does with it, what Pinnacle does with it when they open their college basketball futures where they'll have Illinois. So that was essentially over the weekend. And then yesterday, Monday, Alabama gets John Petty back. If you don't know John Petty, lightning quick guard, like coast to coast type guy. Um, tremendous player, potential, you know, candidate for SEC player of the year, if not national player, the player of the year, though everybody seems to have already given that to uh, Luca Garza. So for, for Iowa, who is also returning, you know, big bump for them as well. Um, but Alabama 125 to one when John Petty announces that he's coming back. And, you know, so you go and you hammer away on that. And they drop it, same sort of deal, right? Where they take a small limit, drop the number, drop the number. But that's still at, I think last I looked, 102 to 1. So still a ton of value where, you know, a lot of other sports books, you know, in the Caribbean um, and in the States have that number like way closer to 70 to 1, even 60 to 1, that sort of thing. Again, we'll see where the other books open that up, but I don't think you're ever going to get a better price on Alabama, and I don't think you're ever going to get a better price on Illinois. And if you're saying, you know what, these, you know, Alabama, Illinois, like are we just sort of chasing, you know, value on two teams, two schools that don't really have a chance to make any noise? And the answer is no, because you know, beyond the fact that this pandemic has thrown everything into, you know, a bit of a state of confusion, a lot of these blue blood teams are deeply affected by it and just in general are having a harder time getting the top players, right? Like, can you name anybody that Duke is bringing in? Probably not. I follow this stuff and I can't, right? There's no sort of way beyond anybody else, Zion Williamson, incredible player that everybody, you know, is sort of focusing on and being a complete difference maker. 
And by the way, Duke didn't even win the national title that year, and they probably should have gone out in the second round to Central Florida. So the days of just sort of blindly betting these blue blood teams, these quote-unquote you know, powerhouses are way over, especially considering the sportsbooks haven't adjusted to them when it comes to brand name and keeping them really high. If you look at the Sports Interaction board, it's actually hilarious some of the odds for you know, the teams higher up, right? There's 15 to ones on teams that have no hope of making the final four. I guess I shouldn't say no hope, but they're certainly just terrible value relative to some of these teams who are getting star players back in their lineup.